let me start over. I, I want to get a little better vibe going here. Yeah, let's get some energy. Uh, Welcome to episode two hundred and eighty-two. I got a burp. Sorry. God damn I'm it. Sorry. I'm sorry. It's lingering. I got to hold on. Uh, damn you, Coca-Cola. <laughs> uh, this better be at the beginning. <laughs> uh, it's stuck there. <clears throat> Whatever. I'll deal with it. <sighs> okay, I'm ready. One minute well, down. <laughs> Welcome to episode 282 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back to another episode. Another week, another episode. We got a fun one coming up. We're going to talk all about some uh, some iOS stuff. We're going to talk about some work and industry stuff. And then we got some cool things to share at the end. So strap in. Before we get into some news, we want to thank our sponsor, Abstract, for making this episode possible. Abstract is a design workflow management tool made for modern design teams. That's probably you. Uh, and if you are like most designers, you're currently spending a frustrating amount of time looking for files, consolidating feedback, uh, reaching out to your engineers and your PMs, uh, maintaining lots of versions of lots of files and never really knowing what the latest thing is that's been sort of added in or shipped. So that's why uh, Josh Brewer, he is a formal, former principal designer at Twitter, co-founded Abstract. It's a lot like GitHub, but for designers. It's a version-controlled source of truth for all of your design work. It lets you run your entire workflow in a single, unified place. It's perfect for designers, developers, engineers, PMs, and any other stakeholder to collaborate and work together and keep your products moving forward. Designers at companies like Intuit, Zappos, MailChimp, and thousands of others across 75 countries are currently using Abstract today to improve their design workflows and increase their collaboration. With Abstract, they let you version design files present your work. You can request reviews from your peers, collect feedback right in line, and you can even give engineers direct access to all the specs all from one place. No more redlining, please. Redlines are the worst. Red lines are the worst. We've moved on. The, the days of red lines are over. <laughs> Abstract has killed the red line. If you are redlining or just want to improve the way that you and your design team work together, go to goabstract.com. They have a 30-day free trial for you and your team. You can sign up for free right now. But since you're listening to this podcast, uh, they're giving a little deal to people who uh, might upgrade to that business plan they're going to give away a $500 credit if you tweet at GoAbstract and at DesignDetailsFM, which is us, with the phrase, improve my design workflow. One tweet can get you 500 smackers on that business plan. That smackaroo ROI. <laughs> that smackaroo ROI is available right now at GoAbstract.com. Seriously, use it. Version control alone is going to change everything about the way you work and add on all the other collaboration features for non-designers on your team. It's a dream come true. So thank you, Abstract. Go to goabstract.com and get that 30-day free trial. Thanks, Abstract. You're awesome. All right. That's it. We made it through sponsors. Uh, news. Marshall, you sent me a very interesting URL last night. Talk to me. I did. Yeah. So this came out a couple days ago. Uh, it is an iOS 13 concept. 
Oh boy. By a designer who goes by Apple Eye Designer. These are basically just albums on Instagram, which is an interesting way to present work. But yeah, this person, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, but they have gone through and pretty thoroughly addressed a lot of different parts of uh, iOS and what could be improved in iOS 13, everything from the lock screen to app redesigns. So, uh, Brian, what did you think of this? I I know that I have my thoughts on uh, some of this stuff. Some of it's good, some of it's not so good, but I'm curious what you think. Lots of things I liked, lots of things I didn't like. I thought that obviously the first thing that will strike people if you open the show notes and click our link is that this format is done through Instagram with multi-photo posts. So he groups them by like concept and then there's lots of images explaining that concept. I thought the one cool thing in the presentation was how he would split an iPad into a left and right. And so as you're sort of swiping through uh, this gallery of multi-photo multiple photos on a single post. It looks like you've just panned an iPad, but it's really two photos, the left and the right half. That was clever. Yep. Yeah, kind of a cool effect. Yeah, the, the left side has a little headline and subhead, and then you click to the right, and it's got another little subhead, but it's the right side. Yeah, it's, it's really smart. Um, yeah, using the platform as an advantage, or like taking advantage of the way the platform works. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so I can tell you my favorite proposal here, and I wonder if it's the same as yours. Okay, yeah, hit me. So uh, the first post is a uh, proposal for a redesigned lock screen and status bar. Mm -hmm, Getting warm. The concept is treat the iPhone lock screen the way that you treat your Apple Watch face. Uh Ding, ding, ding. Ding, 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 right? So right now iOS has basically a static lock screen configuration. In the top left you have network. Uh, In the top right you have you know, various network signal strengths uh, and battery. Then you have time, date, and then bottom left, you have flashlight and camera. Wouldn't it be great if all of those were just little widgets and you could choose exactly what you wanted to appear where you wanted it to appear on your screen? And not only that, but have this concept of multiple lock screens for different contexts as you go about your day. Just like Apple Watch faces. Just like Apple Watch faces. So you have a work screen, a home screen, uh, a you know, movie mode screen. I don't know. You could have all sorts of different configurations with different widgets and and information on display. What do you think, Marshall? Yeah, I imagine you could even have like different notification settings. So by going to a different face, you could have different apps be delivered quietly while those are delivered prominently as far as notifications go. Uh, yeah, there's everything from the wallpaper itself to this idea of complications on right. an always on lock screen or changing those two buttons at the bottom like yeah sure flashlight and camera are great most of the time but there are certain situations i'm in where there are two other things that are maybe more valuable or or being able to change on the fly would be really nice but yeah this is this is the thing that stuck out to me it's like basically just pick up what's on the Apple Watch and put it on iPhone. Basically unchanged and good to go. I also like that it it's potentially an avenue into a multi-user iPhone. Oh, go into like a guest mode? Yeah, have a guest mode for your phone that has no password but has really restricted access to apps and it's logged out of everything. Do that from the lock screen. That's really smart. That'd be cool. Uh, I mean, especially for parents with kids, right? Is like, this is my iPhone configuration with a passcode and I long press or 3D touch to switch to my child's profile and it has no passcode but it can't make payments 
Or I'm just thinking like edge swipe over to it, right? Because that's how it works on sure. that's how it works on uh, Apple Watch. That's probably better. Yeah. The one thing that I don't like about this, or that seems like it was too hastily translated, is the scroll bar under each of the complications. So if you go to the part where it's like customize lock screen elements, the you can change what the information is below the clock or what's in the top left. Instead of it being your network, it could be weather here in this example, but there's a little scroll bar under it, which would map to the uh, digital crown on the Apple Watch, but there is no digital crown. So what is this? Is it a horizontal swipe or you know, is the rest of the screen just a big gesture pad? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, how does this work? I'm not sure that was completely thought through, but it's really interesting. I, I could imagine this working really well in a lot of situations. Right, yeah. The interaction work uh, needs some polish, but just conceptually having multiple screens with different widgets, complications, that seems lovely. It's so great on Apple Watch. Like, I, yeah, it, it, the way you're describing it earlier, I, that's exactly how I set it up. I have this, I have different modes that I go into. I have like a home mode and a work mode and a workout mode, and each of those oh, is represented yeah. by, by a different face and different complications that are appropriate for that specific mode I'm in. I want that for my phone too. Oh, that'd be so nice. Yeah, but there's a lot of good there's a lot of good stuff in here. So that was the that was the one that I apparently jumped out to both of us um, as the most desirable of things, but there's a lot of stuff in here. So Yeah, so go through some of the other things cuz uh, I think we agreed on most of the things that we liked, so maybe it's worth just talking about those. Yeah, a lot of this stuff is just little tweaks to existing things. So for example, so in the home screen album, a uh, couple pages deep, let's see, uh, looks like we're on the less intrusive interface for Siri. So this is a, instead of being a full screen takeover when you hold the lock button to, is that what it's called? The lock button um, to <laughs> get into Siri mode or say the dreaded words that I won't say. It only takes up the top part of the screen, like a larger notification. Yeah. Uh, same thing with getting a phone call, have, having that be less intrusive and not take up so much of your screen, so you can still do other stuff while you're ignoring the person who's calling you. Right. But and and having the interaction that you have with notifications, which is swipe up to dismiss it. So if somebody's calling, you can just swipe up to mute that. You don't even have to decline. Right? Or pull it down to go into it. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Push it away or pull it down. Uh, same thing with like the the minimized volume HUD, which is in the same album. Like, not only is it uh, not taking up the center of the screen and blocking whatever it is you're trying to watch, because usually you're watching a video when you're changing the volume, but it's over and its relation to the lock buttons is is perfect. It's got a little drag thing on there, so while it's temporarily visible on screen, you can do fine adjustments by actually dragging the thumb. Uh, and it tells you a percentage, but it's. I love the the geographical association to where the lo, uh, the volume buttons are. It's so good. Uh, I mean, Android figured out a non-obtrusive volume slider years ago. Yeah, that's true. It's just insane that the iOS <laughs> obligatory Android has had this for a while. <laughs> yeah, that's probably for most of these things, honestly. Yeah. But yeah, just the the fact that if you're watching a video and you adjust the volume, you block half the video. It's insane. It's it's just insane. That particular HUD has existed since iOS 1. And yeah, it's fucking yeah. madness to me that it's still around. I'm surprised they haven't gotten sick of it themselves. Yeah. And there are great solutions. Third-party apps are coming up with their own solutions, like uh, replacing the clock 
and and the status bar with a little volume icon and a little bar that grows as you as you use the buttons or uh, you know an entire bar across the top of the screen there are you know bespoke implementations of this that override that hud but right. having having os level actually be reasonable would be really nice i think instagram actually does that i don't have the instagram app but yeah they do like a little line yeah. along the top or something youtube does it there's a lot of apps that do it. snapchat does it like basically any app that is is video or media based and tries to get that out of the way they had to work around it but it's just a good pattern regardless like don't cover my shit i'm in the middle of doing something just because i hit a button doesn't mean i want to stop doing stuff for three seconds until this thing goes away and stops intercepting my taps yeah yeah i think there's a lot of nice really nice little small tweaks that aren't world changing they're they're not blowing everything away and you know creating a new paradigm it's just like hey let's let's think this through a little bit more obviously other people have thought through what can we learn from them or what can we improve like including a little thumb so it becomes a slider in addition to being a meter right yeah yeah it's interactive but it's off to the side it doesn't get in the way love it cool yeah there's there's a few other things i guess people who are curious about this should poke around the instagram uh not only for the presentation but there's there's some other interesting stuff and then uh, a lot of stuff that you and I didn't like, but I guess we can leave that up to people to figure out for themselves. Yeah, do we not? Want, okay, I guess if we didn't mention it, we don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> for the most part, yeah. You know what we'll do? We'll we'll check back after June, after the uh, WWDC, and we find out what actual iOS 13 is going to include, and we'll contrary, uh, compare and contrast. <laughs> contrary and compast it, you know? <laughs> contrary and compast. <laughs> uh, fuck me. Uh. Yep. And we'll see how many of these things actually come true and uh, what we are still wishing for. Yeah, if we got one of those, I'd be pretty excited. I would be surprised if dark mode didn't come, although I could understand if it didn't just because it's probably technically complex and would piss off a lot of developers. I don't know, but... No, dark mode's going to happen. I'm pretty sure about it. It'll happen eventually, right? It's inevitable. Anywho, uh, so that's news. Let's move on to the main part of the episode. I want to talk about a tweet that a coworker of mine sent out the other day and uh, her name's Lil and she asked to everybody on Twitter <laughs> to which I chimed in but she asked what's your secret to finding time to design amongst tons of meetings context shifting and open office layouts I've tried do not schedule calendar blocks which hasn't worked out so well thinking of hiding in various spots in the office next and uh, I thought this was a great question and a great uh, thing to pose. I replied with, uh, kind of half-joking, kind of half-serious, go home at the end of the day and work more. Sweat emoji. Yeah, yeah. Which is how I handle this kind of thing. Uh, and then my boss berated me for saying that. Yeah, yeah, I can only imagine. Well, tease that apart for me. So the question ultimately is, how do you find time to actually do pixel work when... Uh, the rest of your job commands so many meetings. And I feel like you are also pretty heavily in that position as like a lead IC or senior IC where you have lots and lots of meetings, but you're also still expected to do pixels at some point. So how do you fit that in in a healthy way? Yeah, because a lot of times, even if you do have time between meetings, it's hard to get back into flow state. Right. If, if you only have a half an hour, that's about enough time to get into a flow. For like two minutes, yeah. Just in time to go to another meeting, yeah. So what do you do? And what I typically do is I stay at work until all of my meetings are over. And at some point after that, I go home and I eat dinner and I see my family. And then I get back to work. I open my laptop up and put something on TV in the background and uh, do those pixels. And I also uh, I dedicate a day of the week to work from home so that I don't 
you know, I, I can stay, stay away from the office and that that's usually a meeting light day Thursday for me. So I work from home. Usually I still have to dial into a meeting or two, but for the most part, I can just think about pixels and get, get into that flow state for an extended period of time. So that seems like a more of a solution than just work more late at night. Mm-hmm. But there's some actually really good uh, replies on here that don't involve spending your home time <laughs> doing work. But before we get into those, uh, how, how do you handle it, Brian? A little bit like you, I, I don't mind doing a little bit of stuff at home, but I don't think that's totally feasible for most people. So uh, one thing I started doing a long time ago was I, I use rescue time, which might be surprising to people because it, it tracks everything I do and I just made a website about like privacy and security I pay them so I just hope that they're not selling my shit I don't know people who take your money will never screw you over this is the horrible hypocrisy of using the web is it's impossible to stick to one thing so anyways I use rescue time but the point of that was uh, I get a weekly report that says here's how you spent your time during the week and I think what what I learned quite early on is that the small minutes doing distracting things actually add up to quite a lot. So you might only feel like you're checking Twitter a few times a day, but then you get that weekly report and it's like, oh shit, I spent two hours on Twitter this week. Or that's probably even low for for a lot of folks. Probably low for me. I I imagine I'm over two hours. But then it's other things too, like uh, email and Slack and all these things that feel like they're important parts of your workday, but they're not. So uh, for me, awareness was the first step I took towards getting better about this. And as soon as I just recognized how many hours were going into useless things, it made it it made me feel silly for complaining about not having enough time in the day. Yeah, there's certainly a responsibility aspect of like making sure that you're maintaining that flow state and not kicking yourself out of it. Yeah, sometimes it's unavoidable though, but. Yeah, I think just disconnecting as much as possible, both physically and digitally. Like I also do what, what you do with, and picked up this at Facebook. They had sort of a no meeting Wednesday and most designers work from home on Wednesdays. At GitHub, I basically have quite a bit of freedom to work from home whenever, but taking a day where you block off all meetings and say, this is my pixel day and all the other days, I don't really mind if I don't get too much pixel stuff done, but this is the one day where don't bother me. I'm at home, no distractions, and I'm going to get into some flow and that seems it may, maybe it's hard for certain people to negotiate that with their employers but if you can have that that freedom and trust to work a day from home that seems like a huge easy win to just get a nice chunk of time to to crank on stuff um but yeah what what else did people say in their replies yeah so uh lil mentions schedule blocking so putting a, a big do not schedule chunk on your calendar that hopefully people respect but they don't always necessarily respect that so barbara replies make fake meetings with me she's also one of our coworkers. she says uh, make fake meetings with me i've done it with other peeps works like a charm so basically find <laughs> find a, a partner in crime that you can uh, schedule meetings with each other that look like legit meetings that you yeah. just <laughs> both can get work done. Yeah, People are more likely to respect that than just saying, please don't schedule. It's like, well, my thing is important. I need to put it over your do not schedule. Right. Another suggestion is to just reject those meetings that are put over your block time. So Sarah says, I reject all meetings that are scheduled over my block time. You do, you do have the power to say no. So yeah, I mean, like, you have laid out your expectations for a certain amount of time if people don't respect that. Like, it's definitely within your, within reason for you to say, no, no, this is a do not schedule time. Let's do it another time if you can. I feel like that falls into this category of 
things that sound obvious in theory but are really hard to do in practice because you want to be accommodating you want to be accommodating you don't want to look like an asshole you don't want to give the impression that oh your time is so much more valuable than theirs and that their bottlenecks are not important to you but i I feel like the same thing happens with um do not disturb and you know all this advice that floats around of turn off twitter close your email close slack like shut out things that can distract you because it sounds so obvious, but when it comes to actually doing it, uh, I find very few people do it. And you see these notifications rolling in while they're trying to get into the flow and they keep looking in the top right corner of their screen or glancing down at their phone. It's like every time one of those things comes in, you're setting yourself back five minutes every single time. That's why I tend to like to work in the evenings is because people don't bug me after six. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah. Like no, nobody's pinging me uh, while they're eating dinner. Another good reply here is from Jackie uh, saying, things I've tried at work. Send in, I'm in focus mode to do work for X reason. Do not disturb me for X time frame. So sending a, an email out to your team saying like, here's how much time I need and here's why I need it. And hopefully that's enough context to allow people to realize like, oh, okay, this is an important thing that they're doing and it's it's temporary. It will end at a, at a given time. I can wait that long, right? Sure, yeah. I mean, same thing is true of, of uh, scheduled block times, but yeah, if, if, if it just looks like you're unresponsive and there's no end in sight for when that will... Uh, uh, when you'll be back online, then people can start to, to freak out a little bit. So if you, if you give them an expectation of like, okay, just last until four, and then you can bug me, it might help. Yep. Good advice. Uh, Maddie says they'll never check the ceilings, which is great <laughs> advice. I, th- I think you don't look up. Nobody ever looks up. Well, I don't think we call that finding a quiet space at the office, which honestly is way harder than than it should be, especially in this modern trend of having open offices. It's, fucking impossible to find a quiet place um but i remember at facebook i did that a lot i I would find a couch that was away from people and then at github i've found a nook underneath some stairs where a lot less sort of visual noise of people walking by or computer screens on either side of me so finding a little cubby at your office is useful as well yeah uh wesley says for me it's about protecting your actual chunks of time from open office layout shenanigans by clearly establishing with my coworkers that Headphones on equals do not disturb me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Headphones yeah. off equals disturb away. Yeah, uh, yeah. That and declining meetings. Yeah, and that's that's great, too. I, I walk around with headphones on. If I'm not in a meeting, I basically have headphones in my ear the rest of the day. Um, I might they, I might not be listening to anything. They might not be on, but I got them in. It's like, that's it's a pretty universal symbol for don't bug me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's a good one, yeah. Uh, so that's our advice and twitter's advice Uh, i'm curious what we've missed so if you do something in your personal work day or or life that helps you get focused undistracted time to work on pixels get shit done get shit done let us know so tweet at us uh, at design details fm we can throw some new and interesting suggestions in next week's follow-up i think uh just having this library of things that other people do that they've been successful with is is useful so share what you do and hopefully others will find value in that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to steal some of these suggestions. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just going to work from home more. Actually, no, I'm going to work from New York more. That'll be easy. Ah, humble brag. Humble brag. Well, not really. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Marshall, should we wrap up? Yeah, let's do some cool things. Cool. 
All right, so we're recording this on a Thursday. And yesterday, Wednesday, January the 30th, a fellow by the name of Jared Sumner posted a blog post called Why Isn't the Internet More Fun and Weird? And uh, this is it's a very short blog post, uh, but the point of which was arguing that removing the ability for people to enter dynamic code into consumer applications has killed the creativity of the web. So the examples he calls out, or the one example he calls out is MySpace, but the other obvious one would be uh, Neopets, where basically the product itself had this little hack where you could type code and the application would execute it. So you could theme your MySpace page. And it turns out that was actually an oversight by the engineering team. But then when people started getting really creative, they just let it roll. That's no longer the case with basically any modern at-scale consumer app. Uh, the name of the game is consistency and uh, security. You don't want people typing arbitrary code. Uh, but as a result, things are just a little less quirky. So anyways, this blog post is making a case for how to try and start bringing some of that back. And the way that this fellow is doing so is with a new product called CodeBlog. Uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes, but it's codeblog.app, which looks like it's in an early sort of preview, but you can request access. Uh, but it looks like a little blogging platform where you can actually type dynamic executable code into the composer. He's doing it with a new tool called MDX, uh, MDX.js, which is a form of Markdown. It is Markdown X that can put React components in it. Markdown Extreme. Extreme. <laughs> uh, it's Markdown with React. So it's really, really cool. And turning that into a blogging platform would be interesting. So anyways, yeah, the... The URL is codeblog.app. The blog post is worth a quick read and you can reminisce about... Reminisce? Reminisce. Mm -hmm. Wait, what is it? Reminisce. Reminisce about your MySpace themes. Yeah, there is a screenshot at the top of this blog post and it reminds me of why this is such a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm an uppity designer, so what do I know? Yeah, can you imagine being a designer at MySpace and being like, what the fuck have we done? I don't know, man, yeah. but it was more fun. It was interesting. Every profile said a lot about the person, especially how bad of a taste they had. Yeah, that's the thing is like I tweaked the hell out of my MySpace, but it was tasteful for my skill at the time. Sure, sure. In the zeitgeist of the time. Oh, man, I wish we could find a screenshot of that, Marshall. Um, it was mostly like uh, dark red and grays, which that my aesthetic horrible. hasn't changed too much. <laughs> Wait, what? What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> dark red and gray? Uh-huh. Marshall. Uh, not that dark red. Okay. know <laughs> <laughs> uh, everything I do is like white and blue and red now. Yeah. I'm, I'm very patriotic, Brian. Sure, sure. Uh, for France. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's my cool thing. Uh, Marshall, what's your cool thing? So my cool thing is a TV from LG. Now, this came out or it was announced a few weeks ago at CES, or maybe it had been announced before that, but... Uh, it's basically a box with a roll-up TV in it that opens a little <laughs> opens a little hole and the TV rolls up. And because it's OLED, it can be really s- slim and it can actually roll up. Um, and the guts of the TV and the speaker are in this box that the, this uh, screen rolls up into. And when you want to watch something, it comes out, but otherwise it hides itself away, which I think is a really cool way of doing a TV and, and until now has not been possible because... LCDs don't allow for that and blah, blah, blah. So the one thing that I don't like about this is that 
the little panel that opens up to reveal the hole for the for the screen to roll out of it opens at the back of this this box meaning it, it pushes this panel back which means that you can't have it mounted on a wall or at least not easily it'd have to be a few inches out so you have to like put it on a shelf and the shelf is mounted to the wall when really I just want to mount this thing as kind of a little box shelf right. on the wall that just looks like nothing until the TV comes out the top. Yeah. But you can't do that when the when the panel slides backwards because then it hit the wall and the TV can't come out. So if they can fix that, if it's just a f- panel that flaps down or something flaps up, the cool thing is that when this thing rolls out, it's got two modes. So it can be fully out into a 16-9 aspect ratio or it can roll out not even halfway and it's kind of in like a media mode where you can listen to music and do other stuff like smart home things, I think. Which is kind of cool that depending on the mode that you're in, it only shows you as much screen as you really need. And But what they don't do, and what I feel like they should do, because it's possible now, um, change the aspect ratio of the TV itself depending on the content that you're watching. So if you're watching mm-hmm. a widescreen movie with letterboxing, like... Get rid of the, you know, lower the TV to the point where the letterboxing no, no longer shows and recenter the image so they don't have black bars above and below and my TV is like 21 by 9 or whatever. That would be awesome, but it doesn't seem like it does that out of the box. Maybe that can they can add that in a software update later on down the road, but so I, I'm not going to be getting this TV. Um, I just thought it was really cool and the idea of, of having those two different modes that only show you as much screen as you need to see. And then the idea about the the letterboxing thing. Yeah, well, they they had a little demo of like it could peak up just a few inches and give you have this sort of background display of weather or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant by that, like media mode. But yeah, it's cool. I feel like it's the future, but I'm sad that the box is still pretty big. <laughs> like uh, it'll get smaller, but it feels like unnecessarily large. But I know it's housing a lot of stuff. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's all the guts that would be attached to the back of the TV normally. Yeah, yeah, right. But it's cool. I mean, a rollable TV, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and it's not ugly. Like, the the bezel's really small, and it, you know, if you look at the back, it's got this interesting, like, butterfly X-shaped cross brace that kind of butterflies out as the screen comes up, so it's backed and won't flex, you know, when it's fully extended. Mm -hmm. It's hard to describe this without seeing it. I'll, I'll put a link to a video in the show notes. But yeah, it's a really cool technology, and I feel like yeah, over the over the years, it will if they continue down this road, it will that box will get smaller and and less obtrusive, and they'll come up with more ways to use that uh, screen height ability they have. Sure. But yeah, I thought it was a cool thing. Yeah, that is a cool thing indeed, Marshall. Good job. Thank you. What's your cool thing? <laughs> oh, you already did it. <laughs> <laughs> My cool thing is the end of the episode. I'm used to going first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's wrap up. We hope you enjoyed the show. Let us know what you thought. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. Tweet at us. Let us know uh, your tips and tricks for staying productive at work. We want to know them. And we'll share those in follow-up next week. And of course, thank you so much to Abstract, our friends who made this episode possible. Abstract is design workflow management for modern design teams. It's like GitHub, but for designers. It lets you have your entire design workflow in a single unified place for you and your team including all those engineers and PMs that you work with. They've already got over 100,000 users who are just no longer having to search for files and track down feedback and navigate a million versions of the same thing. Instead, they're using Abstract to have that single source of truth in the cloud. You can get started for free for 30 days by going to goabstract.com. 
And if you're going to get on that business plan, uh, you'll have a chance to win $500 if you tweet at GoAbstract and at DesignDetailsFM with the phrase, improve my design workflow. So once again, that's GoAbstract.com. Go improve your design workflow today. Thanks, Abstract. Thank you, Abstract. And of course, thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Drew, our wonderful masters and producers and editors for making this show possible. They are also producing other shows for designers just like you on spec.fm. Uh, I got to call out. We just added a new show to the lineup. Oh, really? I didn't know about this. Sarah and I pushed the, the podcast live today. It's called Framework. Uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes, but that's on spec.fm. It is a podcast about the process of researching, planning, and building. All of that that goes into bringing a product to market. So they are uh, five episodes in. Check it out. That's at spec.fm. Otherwise, follow us on Twitter. Tweet at us. Let us know what you think. We love we love hearing from you. We love replying to the tweets. And uh, we always look forward to that every week. So until next time, this has been uh, <laughs> your boys. Your boys. <laughs> at Design Details. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.